All Things Automotive with the petrol head, Nico Smith. Our very own Nico, not on his couch in uh, the northern part, but rather in Cape Town. Nico, what are you doing in Cape Town? Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm in uh, Cape Town for work, and I'm now extended to stay with my family in the pole, so um, that's where I am for the weekend. Every time I chat to you, it sounds like you have a different member of family somewhere in this country. (laughs) 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 Have you always had a a family member in the pile? Yes, I've always had family members in Cape Town. My sister. Yes. So, uh, yes, yes, uh, there's not many other family members, maybe it's just an illusion. Maybe just send your sister our regards from the JSP. I so, Nico, did she at least make you your first cup of coffee or did you make her the first cup of coffee? I haven't had the one yet. Um, oh, so, um, but this is right after that. So I hope I'm sharp enough this morning to um, answer all the questions that are coming in. <laughs> so let's see. So I haven't had that first coffee yet. But let's jump into something interesting um, that uh, Ford has joined Formula One. I saw that. Talk to, yes. us, talk to us about that. So, I mean, when I say Ford is doing Formula One, what would you be expecting? You'd think they'd bring in a car, right? Or um, they might even make an engine. But Ford is partnered with um, uh, Red Bull Racing. Yeah. I know last, towards the end of last year, uh, Porsche tried to partner with them, and that didn't work out. So Ford is joined with the Red Bull Racing. Now, already, you, um, if I say that, you can imagine that Red Bull's already got their car, They've got the engine supply, which is Honda. Yeah. So, actually, I don't. I'm wondering about this because it's quite interesting. Because normally, Ford has a rich history, by the way, of Formula One and winning championships and being very successful in Formula One. But they're partnering with Red Bull. Red Bull's already got a, a design of a car. They designed as yeah. new. They've already got an engine supply, which is Honda. They've actually got their own engine department now. So, Honda pulled out. Red Bull actually um, uh, said, okay, help us so we can start our own engine building um, sort of uh, side of the, 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 the brand or the manufacturer. Yeah. And they started making engines. And the new season starts in 2025. So the car manif- uh, the, the, uh, the Formula One racing teams are working towards that because the engine regulations are going to be different and you're going to have different engines. But they're already working on that engine. So even though Ford is joined, I'm... Not sure if it's more a thing where Ford is joined as a partner and they'll help with the engine. Um, and a lot of that's branding as opposed to actually supplying an engine because Red Bull's already working on that new engine using that, that technology that they've um, gotten, let's say, from Honda and with the help of Honda. So, of course, Ford will start entering um, and it will be a title sponsor, so it will be part of the name. But initially, technically, Honda or Red Bull don't really need them because they've got all the things. So it's more like... It's more a partnership where money, I think, is also part of that to, to help boost them. And then Ford had the technology with a company called Cos within Formula One. So I'm sure that assistance will be more and more and more. But they're not entering the car right now that's going to be branded a Ford and they're going to start from fresh. They're basically partnering with Red Bull. Nico, you think that this is going to have any impact on the fact that Ford is in South Africa? No, not necessarily. I, I think it's a marketing thing. Formula One... Um, especially in the U.S. So people who are, I mean, I've been watching Formula One for quite a while. I remember in the 80s when my parents had afternoon naps, I'd be watching Formula One on TV. Um, so um, now, now I'm not doing Formula One. 
But mm. Formula One has been around for a while, and sometimes it's exciting and sometimes it's boring. But then Drive to Survive started, which was a, like a documentary about Formula One. And people started watching that, and they loved Formula One. And especially in the U.S., Formula One hasn't done great. But Drive to Survive did. It drew a lot of people to Formula One, and especially in the U.S. So the U.S. market for Formula One has grown. So there's a benefit for Ford, where they're an American company, and America, Formula One's getting more popular, to now say, well, we have an American brand, Ford, in Formula One. So there's a marketing benefit more than anything else. Okay. So it's not going to be a Ford Bucky that takes on to the... Yeah, it, it, it's not going to be the new Ford Ranger and they've got a wing on it and it's now racing. Okay. Max Verstappen is now in double cab racing. So not exactly that, no. Okay, so, Nico, two questions for you. Um, the one comes from me. I saw this thing on, I think it was on Twitter or something, yeah. where they had a guy riding, and um, they were motorbike racing, I mean, kind of yeah. round and round on the track. And this guy um, has came off the bike in quite a spectacular accident. But I noticed they were commenting on the fact that he had one of those, apparently it's like a security outfit that is like a, Airbag, an airbag security. Yes. What is that? So, um, actually, with Manitou in Dakar now, um, that exactly that. So, it's particularly like a protective vest that blows yeah. up, almost like, a, like you're wearing the airbag, really. So, yeah. the idea with an airbag in a car is to protect you from hitting the steering wheel or hitting the dash, or when you have a side impact, protect you from hitting the pillars inside the car. So, now that vest effectively is like wearing an airbag. So, when that inflates effectively, it takes up the impact. To, um, so that's not a hard impact against your body, but you have like this air cushion. Because actually any bike rider in Dakar has to wear that. So um, I'm sure it's going to be something we're going to see more and more. And obviously a good idea if you're riding a motorbike. Now, I don't know what these things cost. I'm sure they're expensive, but they're worthwhile because you are so vulnerable Exposed. on a motorbike. Yeah. Exposed is a, is a good word as well, yeah. Wow, that's completely fascinating because it did make me think, I mean, how does it work? Does it work that the moment it hits um, concrete or you know something, what I'm, I'm, it blows I don't up? Know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, so airbags yeah. normally would work with, with pyrotechnics. Yeah. So pyrotechnics effectively is like fireworks. So it is a, state, a solid state material that ignites extremely fast. And as it ignites, it gives off gas. And that gas blows up the airbag. So you know when you fight shooting fireworks into that air, you get gas. So the same applies to for an airbag. The solid state material gets a, a, a small electronic current, and that current in milliseconds, uh, or that, that solid state ex, um, material expands, that gas expands the airbag in milliseconds. So it would be a similar thing with that airbag. So I'm guessing now that uh, that can be a much logical thing. Because you've got to inflate it in milliseconds, so you again have this pyrotechnic device. The device is only need a small amount, and in milliseconds it would inflate um, and effectively um, 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 you know, the intake the airbag. So what you probably would do is you have something that you attach to the motorbike. So as soon as you, and, and I don't know, I'm guessing, I need to actually look at this. But if I was me, logically, um, you, you get to a thin cord or something, and as soon as that moves and pulls out, that would inflate. So this, or, or, I don't know, I, I need to have a look at it, Michelle, because I don't yeah. know exactly how it works. Yeah. But um, um, it, would, it would have something that needs to, to inflate very quickly. So before you land, actually, off the bike, this is where yes. inflated. Wow. Let me have a look at it and, and let's yeah. talk about it next week. Yeah. Um, someone wants to know, if the block of a car has a crack, but the body is in good shape, good condition, not shape, good condition, is a new engine the only option or can I re-weld it? 
What is the block of a car? A blo- so block is, well, is basically the engine. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at the engine, that 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 that, that form of the engine, the block is where the piston, where the moving parts sit in. So in other words, the bottom part of the moving parts. But once it's cracked, I mean, um, you uh, welding it. In, in, I don't think that's the best solution. Um, I guess you could do that, and it might be a short-term solution. But um, once the engine is cracked, you, uh, you effectively need to replace that. In my opinion, I'm sure people will tell you you can fix something, but you're really fixing the problem with something that's not, um, you know, uh, uh, the cars are designed with, with small tolerances in mind. And once it's cracked and you try and fix it, I don't think it'll work. So, unfortunately, my opinion is a new engine. Okay. Well, we're chatting to Nico, our petrol hedger. Welcome to send in your WhatsApps and SMSs as well. Nico, have you been reading anything about um, what's been happening to, particularly in South Africa, to many of the car manufacturing companies with regards to this, the extremities of load shedding? And I remember a couple of years back when load shedding started, I think it was you that told me that they had to scrunch up a BMW every time the power went out and start all over again. And I'm sure all of that has changed quite dramatically over the years. Anything uh, on that side that you might know about? Uh, uh, to be honest, <coughs> I'm not aware. <coughs> but um, if you look at um, load shedding, I mean, how it affects uh, us at home, um, it's going to have the same effect in the factory. Yeah. I mean, the factory needs a lot of energy to build. So I'm not sure what measures the factories have taken, but they obviously have to consider um, that that's an issue with production when, when the, the electricity is off. So I'm not sure if the government has said, okay, listen, when we do load shedding, we don't do factories, um, because factories, uh, I think there's somewhere around 7% of our GDP is from car manufacturing. So we can't afford to have the lights out in the factory. Uh, I know in Europe, a lot of the car manufacturers um, are putting solar panels all over the roofs of the, the factories. Um, so they're doing lots of um, things to, to recuperate energy that's from the sun. Um, that, of course, being environmentally friendly, but also then less um, load from the network. So I, I probably think that the government would have been clever enough to say um, load shedding is not around the factory because that would be re- you know, that would be quite bad because um, we're manufacturing cars all over the country for worldwide, um, you know, um, cars that are being sold worldwide. Yeah. And if we have less cars in our factories being sold, that's going to hurt us. You know, we don't want a manufacturer to walk out of the country saying, you know what, we don't have a great electricity supply. I'm going to go to another country where they have power all the time. So hopefully, I, I don't think the factories will have low shooting. So um, C has sent us a message to say, Morning, Michelle. Love that your program has an emphasis on the environment. It's sometimes incongruous that you and the very entertaining Nico talk about wildly overdeveloped and luxurious cars in today's precarious climate. Can we remember that a car is just for getting from A to B with care? Um, so I, I re- you know what? That, I yeah. raise that because I feel like we cover, first of all, we cover the fact that we are moving towards electric cars all the time. And we, we don't always talk to luxurious and overdeveloped cars, do we? Well, I, I guess um, I'm leading the conversation, Michelle. If I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I'm leading the conversation. And I like cars because from a young age I was I was interested in cars and and and, and you know always excited about cars and and I'm in an industry where I get to drive performance cars so I, I really try and have a balance but at the end of the day I have passion you know I'm, I'm passionate about cars and 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 different types of cars and fast cars and cars that are economical and cars that are comfortable and new technology so 
um, uh, you know, a lot of the time we do talk about the latest cars. We talk about cars that are billions of rands. Um, but my feeling is always... Um, Don't talk a about a billion rand. You, just, you can't use the term billion rand on air at the moment. Cars that are quite extensive. But yeah. it, it's all about... Cars for me, what you, you drive something that gets you from A to B, but you always aspire to have something else. When you get excited about another car, and that excitement... You know, that I had from a young age, and always I sort of incorporate that. So a lot of the time I talk about cars I can't afford, but I enjoy that part of the car, um, you know, be, be being excited. But I do agree that we have to look at other factors and say which manufacturers are looking at after the environment, which manufacturers are looking to cut down emissions from cars because they're, 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 there's a lot of emissions from them, but they're also, they tend to be, I think, an easy target. Um, sometimes to target the CO2 from cars, um, as opposed to other industries. Um, but I do know that manufacturers work hard on that image and that clean image as well. Uh, a lot of car manufacturers on, on what are the, not only in, in, in you know, the cars they're selling, but uh, a lot of manufacturers look at the emission statement. They say, we want to be carbon neutral by 2050. So um, they're working hard towards uh, recuperating energy and whether, whether it be making synthetic fuels or harvesting the sun's energy um, or making fuel from CO2, uh, or cutting in emissions of their cars. Um, so those are all factors. I, I, I would, it would be great if the government part of this in South Africa because in Europe the emission standards are quite high. In South Africa you're driving behind a bus or a bus and you just get black blowing smoke, you know, mm. and, and no, nobody's doing anything about that. So that would be great if, if we also... Um, uh, but then again, it, it's going to be expensive for you to renew your car's license and, and, and have, like, the new car, I think it's called MOT, um, in other words, your car's going to be road with you all the time. That's expensive. And, and we're in yeah. a country where a lot of people are just, you know, a lot of people don't have cars. And those that have cars, a lot of people are battling to keep the cars on the road. So I'm not sure what the balance is. Yeah, I mean, and actually I have to say, see, um, whilst I agree with you to a degree, I also think there's nothing wrong with our curiosity to be able to look at other stories. I mean, we're not saying that everybody should go out. Not, nobody can go out and afford half these cars. But it's also yeah. just about to find out what's going on in the world. Um, I'm a great believer in opening up one's view to a bunch of things. Nico, we're going to go to a break. Um, and uh, when we come back from the break, we'll chat further. It's uh, 10 to 9. All Things Automotive with the petrol head, Nico Smith. Nico, we got a question here about um, speedometers. Let's go to it. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Nico. Nico, uh, please. Um, if a car is already in a gear and you start the car, can it cause any harm or damage to the car? That is the first question. And then secondly, there is no road in South Africa that allows a driver to drive beyond 120 kilometer per hour, right? So, but then when you check the kilometers on every car, the speedometer always exceeds that 120. Some even go beyond 240. So my question is, is can't we have a regulation to enforce all car manufacturers to rather make it not beyond 120 on the clock so that drivers don't overspeed. It's Bramoro in Mangao. Okay, let's start with the first question and then we'll go into... I, I, missed, I sort of missed the first part. What is the first part again? I'm, having, I'm drawing a blank. We're going to listen to it in a moment, but first, so let's yeah, go to the second I, question I, I, with Bramoro. Yeah. So basically, he's asking, could you put... Um, could you put um, a halt on a car so that it can't go past 120? 
No, that's actually unfortunately quite dangerous um, uh, because sometimes you're driving and you need to accelerate past the car. Of course. So you're driving um, and, and you're sitting down a truck um, and you're doing one, one left hand, you're doing one thing. And then there's, there's a gap, so you need to overtake. Um, and sometimes you're going to go past 120 when you're overtaking. So it's actually not safe to limit the car at 120 if you, if you need to overtake quickly. So I understand what you're saying on, on the car's not going too fast, but also, um, you know, I, I don't think we should be starting to tell people how fast they should be driving. I don't think you should take the rule of the road, but if you want to drive your car on a racetrack, a, a performance car, and you drive on the racetrack, then you're limited to 120. What you do get in a lot of cars, by the way, that you can overcome this, it's called a speed limiter. So a lot of cars, you know, cruise control keeps maintains the speed, let's say, mm. at choosing 120. When you choose a car with a speed limiter, it says L-I-M. So I'm a bit, you might have to, some people might have it on the cars. On your cruise control, there's something that says L-I-M normally. That means limiter. And then you set that and it works like the cruise control. So let's say you limit the car at 120. So when you're driving, as you're accelerating, and you're getting closer to 120, it almost feels like the car has no power. And at 120, even though you're accelerating, the car is basically stuck at 120. If you, however, go to your pit down, so if you put your foot against the carpet, you say as hard as you can, then you cancel or override the limiter. But you can set the limiter, let's say, to 18. As you're driving in town, as you get closer to 18, it almost feels like the car gets stuck and doesn't actually want to go past 80. So that, I think, is something that, that um, can overcome that uh, as a safety aspect. Um, is saying, okay, the limiter will help you at 120, and you can't really go faster than that. But I don't think we should be limiting cars to all everywhere not go faster than 120. So, a second question, which came first? (laughs) Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, Was was around starting your car while it's in gear? Um, You won't be able to start a car, if you have a manual car, when you start the car in gear, um, it's sort of Jumps and starts for it, so that's uh, not a good idea. Automatic cars are in park, so when you're starting the car, the car isn't in gear anyway. When you put your foot on the brake, um, with a uh, clutch, uh, or, uh, let's say twin clutch gearbox, will open the clutch, and as you, you put the car in drive and you pull away, it engages the clutch. Or a torque converter allows you to move away because of how the torque converter works, but not a great idea to start a car in, in gear. How does a torque converter work? A torque converter is um, two fans that could, can, so think of the engine in the gearbox, and a torque converter is like two fans. You know, if you look at a fan at home that cools you down, yeah. if you take that fan and you send a fan across from that fan, if you start turning the one fan, what will happen? The second fan will turn. In the case of a torque converter um, or a conventional automatic, the engine turns, the, the, you have two fans that across each other that is enclosed in oil. So the engine turns the one fan, that turns the oil, and that the oil turning the fan turning the oil turns the second fan, which is attached to the gearbox. So as you're driving, you get the fan turning the oil turning the gearbox. But because that correct connection isn't direct, you um, the car can then change gear. So that's how a conventional gearbox effectively works with a torque converter. Again, like Steptronic, Steptronic or Steptronic would be two examples of torque converter gearboxes. BMW Steptronic, yes. Oh, Steptronic, okay. a few many touches you Nico, there's. I read the story um, this week about um, Audi's going to do these for electric cars in this country. They're going to do something quite massive. I didn't quite get it. And I was hoping you would be able to tell me a little bit more. Yeah, so um, the the car manufacturers now have have realized, of course, that they need to support 
the network of South Africa. And I think they're doing it worldwide. So not only are they introducing electric cars, but they're also introducing the chargers. And already South Africa has done the same. So they've, um, of course, are, are selling electric cars, but they've now invested into the network. I think it's something like 76... Um, uh, um, no, hang on. No, it's about 76 new new charges for electric cars. So what they're basically doing is they are investing in infrastructure. I know one of them which is interesting is they now have invested in a 200 kilowatt DC charger, which is the most. Um, I, I, I think last year sometime they invested in in 150 kilowatt chargers, which were the most powerful. Now they've invested in a 200 kilowatt charger, which really allows a car to charge its battery in a few minutes um, uh, from, let's say. 30% to 80%. So they're effectively investing all over the country in the charging network. And, and that'll actually, of course, um, benefit electric cars. Now, we want to all talk about um, load shedding and, you know, that's the first thing people fall back to. And the con- again, it's hurting us as a country load shedding, but it's also hurting the electric car future because car manufacturers are bringing in electric cars or they're going to start selling electric cars and they're going to move away from internal combustion engine cars. And the earlier we get ready, the better. But now what this is doing, it's sort of people are holding back. They don't want to buy electric cars. They're not sure what's going to happen. Um, so it's good that the manufacturers are actually investing in electric cars, uh, not only in electric cars, but also in electric car chargers. So 43 chargers throughout South Africa, effectively, um, at, at shopping centers and along major routes. Okay, that's exactly what I wanted to ask. So if you say um, 200 um, kilowatts, where would that be? Would that be like at a shopping? Where would that be? So, so that so, so that was actually at, at Mall of Af- Africa, which is interesting. Yeah. So at Mall of Africa, there's a 200 kilowatt charger, but a lot of them are throughout the country on major routes because that's actually what we need. Is, um, actually, electric cars, you're charging at home every time. So electric cars for most of their life are charged at home. Um, so there's millions of places, of course, to charge them. But if you want to go on a long trip, um, that's where... There's lots of filling stations, but not that many public charges along the route. So that's what they're basically doing is to get the electric cars going. They are now along the route, so you can see more and more and more of these charges, and that allows you to drive a longer distance. Already, I mean, people are driving from Cape Town to Joburg or the other way around and to Durban with electric cars for a while now. But the more cars are coming on the road, the more we're going to need more charges. It's like filling stations. You can't only have a few, you need more. So um, that's a good step from our to actually start investing in infrastructure, but I know other manufacturers are also looking at similar things. Okay, can I quickly ask you something? Are those charges yeah. going to be reliant on um, ESCOM power or are they on off the grid? Well, some of them, but I know that um, one of them actually had like a battery pack. And I was in, when I was in Germany now, they showed us one charger uh, or a charger a building effectively that actually has old electric car batteries that aren't in use anymore, but they now use as battery packs. So the charges thing up at night. Um, um, using the network or using solar energy. But even if there's no power, you can basically train the battery. We love it. Nico, that's it from us. Time's out. Don't forget when you're back in Joburg, we're going to have a Brian Chisignan. Oh, yes. Love it. <laughs> Looking forward. Nine o'clock, time for the news. Good morning.